On today's complicated conversation, we welcome Sarah Mandel to discuss her moving debut memoir, Little Earthquakes. Sarah is a licensed clinical psychologist based in New York City. She received her doctorate from Rutgers University and a BA in studio art from Bard College. She lives in Manhattan with her husband and two daughters. Welcome to Pop Fiction Women, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. We are so happy to have you. Sarah and I had the pleasure of talking about this beautiful book separately, and we were so excited to have Corinne join the conversation yes. here. Yes. She's going to bring a whole new perspective as well, and we're, I'm just oh so glad gosh. that we're all able to to talk about it today. So for those out there, for our listeners, why don't you just tell them a little bit about Little Earthquakes? Sure. Uh, so I was 36 years old, this was about six years ago, and I was on my way to work to see my patients in my clinical psychology practice. I was pregnant at the time, and I had found a little lump in my breast, as the story often goes, and my OB and I thought, this is a clogged milk duct, so we were going to go get it aspirated, get it removed so that I wouldn't have a problem with breastfeeding. Of course, this was no breast duct <laughs> situation. This was cancer. And I found out that day and the next week I went into labor and two hours, three hours before I gave birth to my baby, I found out that the cancer was metastatic and had spread throughout my body, it was stage four. And I was confronting my imminent death as I was bringing life into this world, literally. And I knew that there was a very, very real likelihood that I was not going to raise this newborn that was literally coming out of my body and continued to raise my four-year-old, Sophie, who was already home and needed me because your children need you, right? So this was a significant trauma. This was a significant trauma. But then three months later, after receiving treatment, I had another PET scan and I had been really sick. The cancer had transferred to my liver all throughout my bones. I had broken bones. I was on a walker. But the scan showed that there was no evidence of disease in my body. The cancer, it seemed to be gone, which is unheard of. Statistically speaking, it is almost unheard of. We see those results in the clinical trials with the treatments similar to mine and my diagnosis. At six months follow-up, 5.5% of the time. I was at the three-month mark. So this was, I, I gained the status at Memorial Sloan Kettering as a super responder, wow. is, is what they started to call me. And everyone, of course, was so celebratory and jumping up and down and just thought, this is unbelievable. This is great news. And I was numb. Yeah. I felt nothing. Mm-hmm. And then I judged that numbness and I felt terrible and guilty and thought about all of the women out there and men too, 
who die of this disease? And how could I possibly not feel grateful or anything about this kind of amazing result? And for months, I felt that way, completely detached. And I literally was best equipped to just stare into space. Usually it was the ceiling of, of my bedroom for hours at a time. No thoughts coming to mind, no sensations, no feelings. And then I started to gain awareness of this kind of dissociation process, which is what happens when you're traumatized. Your body, your brain shuts down. It's adaptive to protect you from the level of terror that you're going through because it's so scary. And I gained awareness into this and I thought, oh my God, I'm traumatized. (laughs) And I'm a trauma therapist. I've worked with my patients to to help them through this kind of treatment. Maybe I can apply the therapy that I've worked with my patients with on myself. Mm. And it's called a narrative therapy. And it's a kind of cognitive behavioral therapy and exposure therapy where you go back and really kind of excavate what happened in your past that was really scary and you write about it or you tell about it orally in a very organized way and in a very safe way with somebody who really can hear you and hold you in the safety of the present and I thought I'm going to give this a try so I started working on my trauma narrative and I started to heal And I started to wake up and I started to feel again, more than just the guilt. And it became Um, this beautiful book. It became a story about recovery from trauma. And eventually, you know, I wrote the trauma narrative and I wrote about the past. I confronted all of the medical reports that were too scary for me to read, the statistics I looked at the pictures, I looked at emails. It was like a it was like an archaeological dig yeah. in terms of data. I mean, I'm like yeah. a part scientist and then it was also <laughs> like it was it was also, you know, a way for me to make sense of what in the world just happened. Yeah. Did this just happen to me? Because all of the life assumptions that I had had made turned out to be completely inaccurate. I assumed well, I'll live until I'm, you know, 80. My body's going to protect me. Yeah. I'll be, yeah. Like I just had all these assumptions and then, mm, no. <laughs> so there's a required grappling with a new set of facts that that happens when you face something traumatic and it takes work yeah. to be able to change your thinking so that you can understand your new set of circumstances and the writing of the trauma narrative really helped that and then after I finished the trauma narrative excuse me I was able to continue writing in the present tense because writing had had become so therapeutic for me and helps me cope with the here and now and I was able to write about really kind of the expansiveness that I was able to find after writing the trauma narrative and after I was able to start using my body and trusting my body again and doing yoga when I was told that I would never be able to touch my toes or twist my spine for fear of fracture 
And then I was up in the headstands, you know, I mean, it was just, it was amazing. So that, that is the story of my book. It's really about grappling with the uncertainty of life and, and also looking at, you know, the neurobiological processes that go on in the brain that are out of our control and they're not, they're not weird. They're not, they're not evidence that we're crazy. It's evidence that we're human. And I I think it's so important that we know that when we experience these sensations, the fight, flight, freeze, the emotions, it's not your fault. You're not doing anything wrong. Your body is just trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And if you can let yourself be there with your body and accept it and feel everything that's important. Yeah, because it's often trying to reconcile a reaction that was necessary, that, as you were saying, protected you once, and reconcile that with the environment that you currently know, which is safe and not that old environment. But that is not, that's a life's work sometimes, especially if it's childhood trauma, which, which often, or is in my case, I will say, and so that is something that you're constantly reconciling and, and working on. This, your trauma is, you know, is exceptional in one way. But you also note in your book, which I really loved, and thank you, because your book gave so, I have done a lot of this work, and I, you gave me words and you gave me ideas that I had not had. I had done them more uh, on my own track and my own path, but using a lot of the same tools that you did. But but I wanted to say you wrote that research suggests that 89.7% of the U.S. population will experience a DSM-5 defined traumatic event during their lifetime, yet a significant stigma is still associated with mental health conditions and traumatic experiences in particular. You go on to say, our cultural norms dictate that we shouldn't talk about the gruesome, the depressing, the terrifying. So often these cruel human experiences land deep within the bodies and minds of trauma sufferers who feel caged in their silence. Yet your work, even before your cancer diagnosis, was about kind of freeing that and and letting people out from that cage of silence. And then you did it with yourself, with other tools, with other support. And can you tell us about doing that and what that could offer just anyone, someone who's not, you know, hasn't said, because I do think sometimes people minimize their own trauma and they like to say, oh, well, I was not diagnosed with cancer when I was pregnant. And then three months later told, you know, there was no evidence of the disease. So I can't be going through something like this. That is not true. Right. Is that right? Absolutely. I mean, I opened the book with a, a different, very challenging experience that I went through that was, oh my God, it rocked me to the core. And it's not a comparison game. I mean, yeah. people people in my life, some of my closest friends, they sometimes you know complain to me about what's going on in their life. And then they say, oh my oh, God, I'm so sorry, I'm complaining. I can't complain to you. And I'm like, tell me, no, this is your life. Like, this is... This is hard. Like, talk about it. So it, it doesn't matter what it is. We need to talk about what's going on in our lives. And we need to connect with people. And we need to 
to really listen to people and show up for them. And there's a line that I quote at the end of the book by Rebecca Solnit, and I'm going to totally screw it up right now. (laughs) But it's something like hearing is allowing sound to travel into the labyrinth of your ear and listening is allowing yourself to to show up to meet it. It's an active process. And when you're with somebody who can really listen and be with you, it is so healing and not not question the experience, not say, oh, everything's going to be fine. <laughs> everything's mm-hmm. good. Just really be with, with that experience. It's, it's so important. And I, I'm sorry, I, <laughs> yeah. I have cancer. I forgot the question. Did I, you, did I no, answer your question? You did. And I want to just also say that sometimes it feels like as much as it's caged in there, sometimes a cage is safe. And that mm-hmm. by, oh, by telling mm-hmm. someone yeah. that might feel out of control. And, you know, if you keep Unsafe. it in yourself, it might be your own burden to bear, but it is an easier right. burden than to let it out free into the world, which feels very scary. I can say personally for me, that was yeah. a hump I had to get over was the feeling like if I tell someone and not realizing what kind of relief And also, it's a whole process. It's not even one thing immediately. It's not like you speak the words and then all of a sudden there's chaos. It's also not like you speak the words and immediately it's sunshine and rainbows, right? It is a whole process. But by letting it out, you can begin that process. Yes. And I... Is it okay if I answer the question a little bit more clearly now that I remember (laughs) it? (laughs) So, you know, I think it's, it's really hard to talk about trauma because everything in our brains and bodies wants to push it away. Avoidance is just what we want to do. And then our culture dictates the same thing, that we don't talk about things that are messy. And I don't know who wrote that rule book, but I don't subscribe to it. And, you know, if if the rules don't work for you, throw them out the window, (laughs) throw Mm -hmm. them out the window. That is one to throw out the window. But in terms of talking about your, your trauma and treatment, I think having, and with other people, having the safety of knowing it's in the past, getting through the crisis Mm -hmm. and the crisis, you can't really do the trauma you know, narrative work. You just need to get through whatever it is. Yeah. Survival. Yeah. yeah. Survival. Yeah. But after that, you can start to grapple with what has happened. And it's so important to be able to process it so that it doesn't come up for you in ways that are out of your control, like in yes. nightmares, mm-hmm. in flashbacks, in trauma-triggered panic attacks. Uh, Yeah, or self-destructive behavior. That was my go-to. That was my, how I I say always, like it came, it always came out sideways. And the more I, I, the longer and the more I pushed it down, it was just like popping out the side. And and for me, it was self-destructive behavior. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable. And for everybody, it's different. And that's, and that's so important too. Like my, my trauma story is in the land of cancer, but it is very much 
a story of, of going through a difficult, scary, terrifying situation, period. Yeah. And what happens in the brain, yeah. what happens in the body, what happens to the sense of self, and how to rebuild your relationships with yourself, with the world, with, yeah. with people. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you, have, you need to kind of start over in yeah. a way. It's a, it's a, it's a, new, it's a new slate. Yeah, and I love how you talk about or suggest to people to find their own version of truth-telling. <clears throat> Excuse me, mm. because like you said, everyone's story is different and everyone's experience is different, but people can find their own version. And then hopefully, like, as you, I love this line too, we talked about how you putting down your trauma in the form of this book allowed you to put your trauma, you wrote down somewhere outside myself. And I had this image, like I said to you, of putting it down as in putting pen to paper, but also this bigger metaphorical putting down of a weight, like an unburdening. And mm -hmm. that by telling your story, that's what, even though it's difficult, as you say, you have to expose yourself to the very discomfort that you're trying to avoid. So it is not easy, but in the end, what I think what you're offering is this unburdening and, and truth telling that is just so beautiful. And I don't know if there are ways, you know, cause some people might hear this and go, well, I'm not going to write a book. You know, I can't, if she, if narrative healing means I have to write a memoir, <laughs> right. So are there like small ways or ways that people can sort of find their own truth telling? Totally. I mean, first of all, <laughs> I never intended to write a book. This was like oh, right. the biggest surprise. What is mm. happening right now? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I wrote out of desperation. I mm -hmm. wrote because I was completely checked out of my body and my mind. And mm. I didn't know where I was. And luckily, I got some awareness into that and was able to do something about it. Mm -hmm. But there was never an intention when I started writing that I was writing a book. <laughs> no way, mm -hmm. no way. But one thing I wanna say is when you start working on your trauma narrative, it's a very important thing to have a set of skills in place first. And I go through those sets of skills mm -hmm. at the, in the appendix of the book in terms of having emotional awareness and having self-soothing skills and having interpersonal skills. And those are things that you can work on with a therapist. Mm -hmm. And you can work on the trauma narrative with a therapist, like mm -hmm. when I used to be in practice. Mm -hmm. And I, I highly suggest that. I think that's the best route to go because I am a psychologist and I worked in this way. I did kind of this unorthodox treat thyself model, which is, you know, a little questionable, but I also had a therapist throughout the, the period who didn't work on the narrative with me, but she was there for me emotionally if I needed her. She's amazing. Yeah. So writing, I think is also really important, the narrative. And when you experience a trauma, the helplessness is so at the core of the experience mm. and 
just the act of creating, it's called a, a fear hierarchy in, in psychology, in CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. When you are really scared of something and you start an exposure treatment, you create a fear hierarchy where there are kind of rungs, like on a ladder, and you start at the lowest rung, what's, what's least feared in the situation. So for me, it could have been finding, finding the lump could be the, the least feared, and the most feared could have been the day uh, I found out that I had stage four cancer, maybe it was the peak. And you start the lowest rung and you write least scary part first and then you work your way up so it's titrated and it's it's very controlled it's very controlled so you feel like you have some agency Mm -hmm. over the trauma and how you're going to manage it which is essential because you didn't Mm -hmm. have agency over it when it was happening Mm -hmm. so that's really key yeah, yeah, to yeah. the treatment working. And it also makes sense just from a human perspective, right, to, to kind of not dive into the deep end, but slowly unpeel the layers. And as you feel more comfortable saying the little things and talking about the littler things, the lower fears, as you're saying, that it makes sense you could go deeper and, and into yeah. more kind of scary territory as you grow stronger in yourself and your agency and your feelings of control around it. It makes sense. I want to talk about yoga because I love yoga. I am actually an advanced yoga certified teacher, over 800 hours of instruction done and countless, yeah, countless. I love it. It's, I mean, it really saved me in so many ways and continues to do so. And it helped me to do a lot of this work and to feel, I felt that agency on the four corners of my mat, my little rectangle. I was in full control Mm -hmm. of myself and the thoughts that came up and what I, how I allowed myself to talk to myself and, and all of that, it was so eye-opening to me in so many in so many ways. So I obviously loved your chapter called The Twisted Spine, which is about your discovery of yoga and how vital it was in your healing. And at the end of the chapter, you write, Though my body holds the memory of being held captive by a deadly force, that force was finally quieted. I could move again. And it's about your body, but it's also kind of transcending it. I mean, in, among yoga teachers, there is this, you know, understanding that people come to yoga for like, oh, my, my sh- I have tight shoulders or tight hips, and they always come for the physical, and yet it's about transcending the body, and then moments of transcending the mind when you can quiet. It's just mm-hmm. a practice that, that deepens kind of as you're talking about in therapy. You talk about the ways that the body can help us access things that talk therapy doesn't even give rise to opportunity for because we can't access it. Talk about that a little bit. Yes. First of all, I love hearing you talk about yoga and how Mm -hmm. much it's played such a fundamental role in in your well-being. I experienced postpartum depression, which I kind of, I, I opened the book with that experience and that informed how I changed my clinical practice because I realized that there were so many 
people that were really struggling with becoming mothers and I wanted to help with that process. So I really threw myself into a lot of training and it became really an area of, of deep specialization of mine in addition to the trauma work that I did. And similarly, after I was diagnosed with a cancer and I went through all of these very intense relationship issues with my body, I realized, oh my God, there's this whole other part of psychology that I haven't really thought about in terms of how much our body and mind are connected. And, you know, when when I was diagnosed with the cancer and thereafter, and as it was literally breaking down and breaking and I was showing up for Sophie, my four-year-old's bake sale at school with a, with a walker and people would look at me and wonder who is this infirm woman? And I would talk to these 80 year olds on the street and they would say, you know, put tennis balls on your, <laughs> on your walker. And th- this was my community that, that these were the, these yeah. were the people who would, you know, help me out. Understood. Yeah. I just felt like my body was, was completely betraying me. And, but then it didn't, but then it started to heal Mm. because of this unheard of, incredibly lucky, incredibly lucky response to treatment. And, you know, I had been told that I wouldn't be able to, to do that. I probably wouldn't we wouldn't know if I would walk without a walker. I certainly wouldn't touch my toes. I certainly wouldn't twist my spine. But I started physical therapy. And I did leg, leg lifts in bed every day so that I could get onto the ground with Sophie and learn how to lunge and sit next to her while she played. Because that's where I wanted to be. And I had to learn how to kneel onto the ground again. And eventually... Sticking with the physical therapy, I was able to get myself to yoga and I, I got approval to go to a gentle yoga class. And the, the instructor, after, I don't know, a couple months, told us to, to move our, our legs, kind of windshield wipe them from side to side. And she used the phrase, twist your spine, that exact phrase. And I just, mm. woo. Oh, yeah. The tears. I hadn't been crying because I was still kind of, I was still numb. But the the movement of my legs from side to side had opened up the floodgates of feeling that had been trapped inside my dissociated body that had been cut off. We talked about this, the relationship you have with your body what you're touching on and how that evolved throughout the course of the book and then how yoga plays into that. And all of that leads me to wanting to ask you about the title of the book, Little mm-hmm. Earthquakes, because first I thought it was maybe for the Tori Amos song. But, I know, I love um, Tori Amos. Sorry, Tori. I thought. Sorry, Tori. No, no. Don't mind. <laughs> and I'd love for you to explain this because there is a chapter within the book called Little Earthquakes. And the correlation between, you know, how you yoga and movement and how 
balance and learning to trust your body and what that has to do with those skyscrapers they build in Japan and other places where there are earthquakes. And the the image, it just made so much sense to me once I got to that part of it. So talk to us about that and when when you figured out this title. Well, I was in a yoga class and you know I finished the I had gone through a lot of gentle yoga and did a lot of, of crying and feeling that I needed to feel how the tears that needed to come out came out because of, of movement. It really, mm-hmm. it really accessed a lot of the emotions. And that I was able to incorporate that those kinds of interventions, not yoga, but those types of somatic, sensory motor interventions into my practice as well for my patients. Mm-hmm because I saw how powerful they were. But the title, so eventually I, I was getting stronger and I thought, you know what, I want to do something kind of rad. I want to do something kind of crazy. And I decided to do a vinyasa class that was a level two. And I thought, okay, well, I could do a level one. Level two seems reasonable. No, no, no. I w- went into this class and it was all... These like expert yogis that looked like they were triathletes and they started like doing Cirque du Soleil things on their mats. And I was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> but I was able to move my body and I, I was bright red and sweating profusely and I had a huge smile plastered across my face. And I found a new passion. It was just mm-hmm. exhilarating. It was exhilarating. And so I kept on going. And eventually my instructor said, let's, let's get you into a, a headstand. And I thought, well, that sounds kind of crazy. I've never really done that before. And he said, I'm going to help you. And I said, okay. So he put me... I got into a headstand and I had a, a trauma triggered panic attack because I felt so unstable and it just brought me right back to feeling like I was on that walker I was going to fall. Everything was going to shatter again. Not, this is not rational. This was just yeah. neuro neurobiological signal that just gets sent to your amygdala. It's not in your control. You get triggered then it goes to your prefrontal cortex and you can maybe think about it, but immediately you just think, I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. So I was in the, the headstand thinking, oh my God, I'm going to die. <laughs> and I, I came down and I was, you know, shaking. And I really grappled with whether or not this was a, a really stupid idea to go upside down, given my situation, like, my bones are actually not real bones. They're made of a substance called Xjiva, which is a, a medication that they injected into my body to rebuild my bones. So I don't really know what they are. <laughs> so anyway, I what I realized over time was I was going to kind of crouch down and just get used to crouching and being upside down in a, re- a little ball and just take it really slow. And eventually... I would bring up my legs when I felt safer and just kind of like the the trauma narrative approach of doing the runs 
I was going to, I was going to run it. And, Mm -hmm. and I got more comfortable over time. It took a while. Um, And then during COVID, I actually was able to get into a, a headstand with my instructors over Zoom. And I came down and I was confused because I was swaying a lot and it it felt like I should be still. But they explained to me, like, no, you really need to sway with the posture. Let let yourself move with it. And I thought, well, that's kind of everything. Yes. And they felt like little earthquakes when I was upside down. And it felt like I had to stabilize my body with these little earthquakes, but Actually, I just needed to kind of let them come up and and recognize them and be okay with them and respond to them gently and and move with them and then move a little in the opposite direction and and then I could find my balance upside down yeah. in this yeah. very unusual state and so that became a metaphor yeah. for the book about how to really yeah. live with uncertainty and and embrace it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Sarah, I people won't see this cuz it's mostly audio, but I have had the biggest smile on my face mm-hmm. this whole conversation. You're so wise and your stories just I they land for me so much mm-hmm. that I feel like I, it's it doesn't even make sense because what you're talking about can sometimes be that sad or, as I read earlier, gruesome or terrifying. And it's still, I don't, there's just something about you and the way you're processing it and the way you give it back to us. I just, I've had, I've had my hands on my face and just smiling mm-hmm. this whole time. So I hope you'll bear with me for one more question. No, it's such a source of joy for me. You have no idea. You have no idea. No. Oh. Oh. I never mm. thought that I would be able to talk about psychology again. I never thought that I would be able to reach people again. I just can't believe that the book has given me this opportunity to to have this part of myself again. It's so beautiful. Yeah. It's mm. such a gift. And maybe even to more people yes, than exactly. you could possibly see in your office right. are going to read this book and take something away from it. It's amazing. Mm. It is oh, such Sarah. a gift. It fills my soul. It's a gift to... Oh. Thank you for oh, saying It's a gift to all of us, too. So Yeah, it is. It, oh. This book was a gift to me, mm-hmm. and this conversation is bringing me so thank you, much Brian. joy. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Two days. <laughs> <laughs> it was a page-turner. It, it was very compelling. We talk about that. It is. Um, yes yes so if it's okay i'd like to ask one more question and i already said it's gonna be a little bit unexpected and maybe a little little, but i'll don't worry i'll tie it up back to the book okay good (laughs) all right good well there was a a paragraph you wrote a page a story you told that just landed for me in so many ways but on this podcast we have a very deep interest in astrology and you wrote this sentence i want to read it it took cancer to finally call me into the ocean. Now, you were talking about your cancer and the literal ocean in, in this beautiful story that you were telling, but 
I had already known your astrological sign, which is cancer, the Latin meaning crab, the sea creature who in Greek mythology is seeking revenge on the demigod that killed his family, which is why that zodiac sign cancer is known for his fierce protectiveness over family. So as I said, we, we have an interest in astrology and zodiac signs. Do you relate to being a cancer? Or if not, can you talk to us, and maybe both, talk to us about that moment in the book when you're in the ocean and you've let it go? Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, letting go. I mean, just you saying that, I can feel it. I can feel it <sighs> when you say the words. Yeah. Yeah. And you wrote the last words, just stay with me too. I play, I explore, and I feel free. Mm-hmm. I just got goosebumps yeah. just reading. I mean, why that feels like such a gift to even say those words. Feeling is such yeah. a gift. I mean, there's there's a distilling of life experience that has happened for me. And there are a lot of things I don't care about anymore. I don't care about wearing mascara to the beach. Mm-hmm. I don't care about wearing a fancy outfit to dinner. If my feet hurt, I'm going to wear Nikes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I find such a grounding sense joy being in nature, like really being in nature. And I'm reading Braiding Sweetgrass right now for anybody in the world mm-hmm. who wants to understand being with nature. Oh my God, this book. But <laughs> giving yourself permission to just live a life without any of these rules that don't serve us is so liberating. And I, I don't want to be held back anymore from things that can feel really good and easeful and mm-hmm. joyful and playful. Mm-hmm. I don't want, I want to play with my kids in the water. <laughs> Derek, can, yeah. Derek can play with them too, yeah. but I want to be in the water with my kids. <laughs> yeah. And when I go in the water now, it is, I, I think it, it's also the sensory piece of it is that we talk about so much in psychology of, of how to calm our bodies down. We really need to enlist our senses and, and figure out which, are, which senses we are, are, are most calmed by. Is it smelling, aromatherapy? Is it listening to certain music? Is it, is it tactile? Is it getting a massage or, or going in a, a shower and, in the water and feeling the water on your body and for me allowing myself to go in the water and just be and play and feel the sensations that freedom letting go yeah Mm -hmm. it was so profound it's funny you're saying i don't care about i don't care about i don't care about and every Implicit in every one of those things you no longer care about is the care you yeah. give yourself. Yeah. Right. Because I don't care about yeah. wearing a fancy dress if my 
if my feet hurt because you know to care for yourself is to put on the Nikes and that's the care that is the most important yeah Yeah. and I love I mean cancer is a water sign so this is this so symbolic but also I think Mm -hmm. literal for you that that is the way in which you can let go and be free there does seem like a link there for you but like you're saying I mean people can find it in a lot of different ways and I just think your book I mean by the end the hope that you talk about the gratitude that you're you're living comes through in those pages and I know that you are still living with cancer and dealing with that and but I just like Corinne said after I met with you I'm like there is just a light that comes through you that is just it's just it's glowing right right off you and and this book really I think is just is really a story of hope too so just thank you so much for sharing it thank you for your beautiful close reads of the book it's really it's really something the two of you thank you really are incredible and very thoughtful and compassionate. And this is this is a really huge bright spot for me. Thank, Thank you, Sarah. You. you and I, I have to agree with Kate's glowing. I'm just thinking of your cover. It's oh beautiful. Look at it glisten. Like yeah. Oh, Thank it's you. So pretty. My window's yes. over it here. Was... You can see it's like shimmering. It's so sweet. I had the most wonderful artist and the I'm I have I'm I have cancer still that I'm living with so I'll just get that out there so everybody knows and I'm on steroids right now so I may come across as a little extra chatty and just interrupt me if I Mm kind of go on and on but I'm also really bad at remembering names, so I can't remember oh. the name of the of the amazing artist who I worked oh. with for the cover. <laughs> but she's incredible, and she com- worked with me to combine these ideas of kintsugi, which is like this Japanese art of taking broken ceramics and then oh, putting yes. them together with gold, gold. I've read gold leaves, yeah. and then they become something that's broken becomes more beautiful because oh, you weave it yes. with gold and it becomes this, you know, this unique piece of art. And so we kind of incorporated that idea. And then we incorporated this idea of botany and, and growth over this period of trauma recovery that, you know, you start off kind of losing a lot of life internally, the sense of life, but then it starts to bud and grow. And oh I think God. she just nailed it. Yeah. She nailed it. Yes. Oh my it is. God. She nailed it. Yeah. 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 It's, it's beautiful. beautiful without knowing any of that. And then when you know it, it makes even more sense. And it just, oh, <laughs> I love that. I love oh. that. It just yeah. is even more, mm-hmm. even more apt now that you shimmer just like the gold on your on the cover of your book. So it was a joy to get to meet you finally after Kate had, had already primed me, but you exceeded my expectations. The book did and this conversation did. So thank you again for taking thank the time with so us. Thank you so much. And Kate, thank you for, for, I don't know, wrangling Corinne. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. Of I, course. I'm, I'm just so happy. Thank you.
Yes. Yeah. No, I I mean, I, I obviously value her opinion highly. And she said, we got to do it. Then I was like, we got to do it. But man, it, it, the whole experience yeah. has really come through for me. It really touched me in so many ways. So thank, thank you. you. So, so Little Earthquakes is out now. Everyone go get it. It is beautiful mm-hmm. inside and out like Sarah. Yes. So yeah.